Welcome. You are listening to the Mantic Universe podcast. I'm Chris. No claim today. Well, no claim right. today. Shockingly <laughs> enough. Yeah, you're stuck with me. It's Trent. <laughs> that was very much you going into a counter charge, and I'm Trent. So, was... <laughs> um, cool. So we're doing a very quick, um, very quick special sort of episode today, and it's all very confusing because we've recorded things at all different times, and we talked to about back to the future so it's all got very confusing so um this is a special episode there'll be another normal episode uh coming shortly um so trent and i are just going to very very quickly review the dead zone two player starter set um and then to follow there's also our we also sat with clem and pre-recorded uh trent the uh our gaming weekend so, you know, what happened, how it went, our lists, all that good stuff. And um, and then actually I've gone wild card and I did it all in one sitting, which is not necessarily the best way to do it. I recorded the short story, the two part short story, The Fall of Amiga 7. Now, I don't think Audible professionals record it all in one sitting. <laughs> so there's a particular kind of Asterian weapon. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, so there's there's mistakes in there. It is what it is. Uh, I think there's value in it. And the other thing I just want to mention just while I'm doing some housekeeping is the fact that this month I haven't spent any more time doing editing. But what I have done is I've kind of looked into some of the tools that Audacity has to allow you to kind of automate things. So um, if anyone's got any, if any, basically, if there's anything weird this month, if people can just let me know. On via the Facebook group or our email address, I'd really appreciate it because I've basically done kind of auto editing stuff that I don't normally do. Um, so if anyone's got anything, fee- you know, any feedback on that, that would be great. Is that making sense, Trent? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. You're talking about getting rid of the uh, like the white space, right? That, that exactly. auto thing you set up. Yeah, exactly. And I'm running a few filters and things like that. Just just getting a little bit fancier with it. Um, so I actually treated myself to an SSD um, SSD drive um, this month, which has made the whole process quicker. So it yeah, that's a game feel, changer. Doesn't feel quite so much like my PC is about to die every time I try and save something or cut <laughs> something. So um, yeah, so I tried to get a bit fancier with the time I have to do the editing. So let's let's see how this goes. So this is very much a kind of a test episode. Trent, and just quickly before we go, how's Adepticon planning going? How are you undead? It's going well. I'm getting a little stressed about finishing in time, um, but I have like the next week planned out. So I'm thinking I'm going to be completely done, knock on wood, by this next Sunday. So today's Tuesday, so maybe like six, five, six days I should be done. Um, and then, yeah, I actually wrote my uh, my background story today really quickly in my uh, in my phone at work. Uh, when I was on my lunch break, of course, not during working hours. So got to clean that if up. If anyone's listening bit. to this. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's not a time thief. <laughs> and then the next biggest thing I have is um, to get my uh, case figured out. But I think uh, I have some foam with like the pre-cut inserts. I'm going to try just to make the bases fit in there. So I'm not too worried about that. But yeah, it's it's kind of exciting. You know, I've been been working on this since november and i can like the end is near but i still have probably like 10 hours of work left so i'm trying to stay motivated fantastic oh buddy thanks so much for taking the time so in that case let's let's move things forward so this so this is the new dead zone two player starter set for the fall of amiga 7 
Um, so this set was very kindly provided by Mantic, um, and we're just trends on basically because if you think about it, doing an unboxing on a podcast where you can't see what we're unboxing. Mm. Is it is this going to work, Trent? Is this going to work? We'll, we'll find out here. <laughs> he can ask questions like, "Chris, what are you looking at? What can you see?" Because I can see everything, you know. So it's uh, this is like a trust building exercise uh, on a podcast. So let's see how this goes. So first impressions. So I've already taken the plastic off, but I haven't opened the box. So uh, first impressions. The uh, the artwork on the front is absolutely beautiful. And Trent, actually, I will hold that up so you can see. It really looks the business. Super, oh yeah, that super looks cool. great. That really looks cool. excellent. And it's all it's all models you get in this box, which may sound like a an obvious thing, but um, so it's yeah, very prominently the two heroes, and then there's you know zombies fighting robots. Yeah, what what more could you want in a game? Zombies fighting robots. Exactly. Cool. So I'm just going to open up the box. It's the classic Mantic. If you've got the firefight box or the first Dead Zone starter box, it's a similar thing. And I've started hanging on to the the kind of brown inside the box bits because they're, they're actually super practical for training bits okay so i've managed to crack it open so we've got one two three four five six seven like ten i'm gonna say ten boxes of terrain looks very similar to the um the first third edition starter box but it's really really nice I think it's got all the same kind of cantina bits and pieces. You've got a couple of bags of the connectors. Um, so it's all looking really, really cool. Um, fantastic. We've got eight eight-sided dice, white dice. Yep, which, I, again, I think are similar, but super, super useful. We've got eight of the actual command dice, which I think is probably enough. I think that's just about enough. Um, for a for a hundred point game or a hundred and fifty point game, super. Um, we've got the resin Matsudan Autosora, so he's the leader. Um, so that's really cool. So and actually getting excited about this earlier, I started cracking out my. I bought in uh, Black Friday a load of the Matsudan boxes, um, so I started cracking them out. So I'm going to do an all Matsudan firefight. I think I've probably got enough for like a small firefight army. So that's going to be kind of cool. Yeah, it sounds uh, like just looking at the box has given you the Warpath bug again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not yeah, that exactly. it ever really goes away. But Chris, I, I have a question. Um, so I have not played Dead Zone yet. I've played Firefight, but I haven't tried Dead Zone. Um, and I know Dead Zone, it's, uh, it's a very much a three-dimensional board, right? Like you can move lat- like up and down the totally. terrain. The terrain packs that are in there... Are they are they plastic? Are they like the the cardboard like cut no, out so stuff? Or that's what is a great it? question, buddy. Yeah. So I, actually, I would say Dead Zone is probably the best Mantic game. Like in terms of game design, the game is unbelievable. Oh wow! Good. Okay. Like, it's the most efficient game I've ever played. Um, but it's also super super fun. Calling it efficient makes it sound really boring. It's not. It's super fun. So you get they're hard plastic and they're really really thick, good quality. Um, everything comes in squares because the board is on cubes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of worrying about how far you move in terms of like, oh, that moves five inches, you move cubes, number of cubes. Um, so it's a super dynamic game. So nice. um, if you think about Kings of War, obviously movement in that is really important, mm-hmm. right? It's the it's really what wins the game, I think, generally. Um, and it's the same in Dead Zone, where if you just shoot at some guy, you'll roll three dice and he'll roll three dice to defend himself. If you've got a clear shot, 
you'll roll more dice. If you're higher up than him, you'll roll more dice. So basically by like clever positioning, you're tipping the scales ever more in your favor. So it's still a dice game and it's got the exploding eight mechanic. So if you roll an eight, that's a success, but also you get to roll another dice. So it's like you get some oh, crazy fun. situations. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get some absolutely crazy situations. Cool. There's I think the coolest model in this box, I think, is going to be the resin plague general. Um, I'm reading the short story. I'm actually going to write everyone's names on their bases. I'm going to paint, like paint their names on, because I think the story was so inspirational. That short story was so inspirational that I I try reading out later in this episode to your listener. So we've got right, we've got some zombies. So these I think they're technically called ghouls. They're the ones with guns. We've got a sprue of those. I guess that's for enough of five of them. Here's some more. It's, yeah, probably don't want to get bogged down too much by just looking at the plastic. But yeah, here's some here's some zombies. Here's more zombies. And yeah, so I think at this point you've got your bases. I think at this point I just try not to get tied down so yeah a couple of hard plastic sprues for the asterians and a couple for the plague as you might imagine you've then got your big border tokens which are nice cardboard tokens for your wound tracking objectives etc always have to have you've then got what's super cool i'm assuming that's what this is is it comes with so you play on you know you play on the map the uh, squares they actually yeah. give you the cardboard map oh that's just nice. like they do with the yeah, it's got the grid on there yeah. yeah, so the, yeah. the neoprene ones they make are really super nice. But this, I mean, you've got literally everything you need to play a game in this box. Yeah. You know, for not a great deal of money. Um, you've actually got a get, getting started guide, which explains how you can actually build your terrain and kind of. Oh my of, God, are those assembly instructions? You actually get a little bit of assembly instructions. <laughs> yeah. This is how you build your plague general, your plague hound. It's um, I'd say so the terrain because terrain is so important in Dead Zone even more than other Mantic games. I'd say you would probably want to get more terrain pretty quickly, um, but Mantic do really nice you know terrain boxes for not a huge amount of money. And this comes with the full rule book, which I think is exactly the same. Looks exactly the same as the last, you know, the third. That's just the third edition rule book. I don't, don't think it's had any changes. And it's also got the force list book. So you've got all the rules for all the factions, plus all the rules. So that's literally, if you just pick up this one box, you've got enough for you and your friends to, to play Dead Zone. Oh, wow. That's pretty, so you could, I mean, open, crack open that box, assemble some models, and, and be ready to play and some terrain. Exactly, buddy. Exactly. What's What I really love as well is it doesn't just come with the buildings, but it also comes with some really great little signs, some trash cans, um, you know, just, just kind of bits to give you more of a, a feel. You know, it feels more like an actual little town rather than just a, you know, sometimes you can feel like you're playing paintball or something like that when you're playing a war game where everything yeah. is like, that is the wall. But you can't, where, this feels a bit more kind of lived in, which I think is fantastic. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, as I said, I'm going to, in the next couple of weeks or, you know, as soon as I can, build this up exactly the same as in the short story that's on the Mantic website. Name my characters exactly the same. And then we're going to play some games and see what happens uh in our story with the general and uh yeah the matsudan etc so such i'm super a cool excited idea. 
super, super, super excited. So it's got me really excited. And on on Friday, buddy, we're going back to Yoda's data. Me and, me and uh, Dennis and uh, Mario and hopefully a couple of new people. Uh, and we'll be playing Dead Zone. So what more could you want? Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. But we now I know you've never played Dead Zone. We'll have to. We'll have yeah, to I got to I got to get a game in at some point. I really do because I do enjoy Firefight, but I think I would like the the smaller skirmish style game a, a little bit more, maybe. It's fast. Yeah. It's really fast. Yeah. 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 It's really, really, really fast and really, really fun. And again, and, like Kings of War, it's you don't get bogged down in the rules. You know, in your first game, you'll you'll know what you're doing. You'll know what you're trying to achieve. You know, you won't be like, oh, how do I how do I do this again? It's it's just it's fantastic. Really great game. Yeah, I think that that it made me think of the first few games of Kings I was playing when you were talking about Dead Zone is like the most efficient rule set. It's because Kings of War, the you know, the rule set is very clean, but the learning curve is pretty steep. You know, I can remember thumbing through the book and for each phase and trying to figure out exactly what I was doing. But it, it's nice that this one seems like you can just maybe thumb through the rule book, jump, watch a video on YouTube or listen to a podcast and jump right in. But Chris, I did want to ask, um, so Mantic sent you this. Is it available to the public right now? Yes, it is. Yes. So um, this is available, I think, for the last couple of weeks even. It's been available. This is available to buy. And it is kind of the, the kind of similar to Kings of War, I'd say, is that the rules are really simple, but all the complexity is in clever strategic play. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just getting the, the models on the table and throwing some dice. And what's really cool on the game map is it comes, one side is a full two by two game map to play a proper game of Dead Zone. On the other side, they've basically got like a demo side, which is actually, it hasn't got the full space. And it tells you, put a piece of terrain here, put a building here. And it's got basically all the really crucial bits of information printed on it. So oh, wow. if you're having your absolute first game or you're running demos, it basically says build this model for this faction and build two models for the other faction or whatever it is, paint them up. And then literally you're learning the mechanics of, of dead zone and it kind of holds your hand through. And I think it's so smart to do that. I really do. It's like a to-do list for getting started with a new game. I love that. That's, an, exactly, that's buddy. awesome. Exactly, buddy. Yeah. And it's so cool. It comes with all, all the dice, generous amount of terrain. As I said, you will probably want to buy more terrain pretty quick because that's so important. But it's just such a generous box for what is not a great amount of money. I mean, just the fact they give you D8s, they give you the command dice, they give you the rule book, and you're good to go. Do you think that it would be worth it, you know, if two people were buying this to split the forces to maybe buy some extra dice? Or do you think it's fine just straight out of the box? I think you'll be fine straight out of the box. I think with these box sets, they're they're always fantastic value. I always think it's if you're going into it with a friend, and I really would recommend um, this is a great box set to do that. I always find it's a it's a really smart idea. You're okay to buy one and split it between you, but I always like the idea of get two, and then you know if one of you picks Asterians, your friend gives you his Asterian models, you give him your plague models. Oh, okay. And then you've got all the tokens each, you've got all the dice each, you've got a bit of terrain each, you've both got a rule book, you've both got a force list. Because otherwise you're like, okay, you keep the force book for now, I'll keep the rule book for now, and then maybe we'll swap or something like that. Whereas if you get one each, I think 
I think it's, you know, it's great. And then you'll have some flexibility. With, I like that. Yeah. I'll give that guy a different weapon because it comes with a full plastic sprue. So you can, you know, your plague guys, your ghouls or your Asterians, you can just, you know, mix and match the weapons as you like. So it just gives you more variety. So I think that's the, for me, that's the really good way to, to go for it. Cool. Sounds good. Cool. And you, we'll have to give it a try sooner rather yeah, than later. I definitely want to. <laughs> I know you'll probably have everything painted by Sunday, so I'll do my best, buddy. I've got yeah. the kids tomorrow, but I'll do my best. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Um I think as far as an unboxing on a podcast goes, I think that was pretty you know, pretty yeah. successful. Yeah, yeah. Are you more excited to play the game now you've kind of um seen I'm, a bit more about it? I just, um, honestly, yeah, I think, uh, I, I still need to read that short story. I haven't, but I don't know. And I, I've kind of talked to you about this a little bit. Firefight just doesn't scratch that itch for me. And I know it's a first edition and, um, you know, I, I am like, I do have an interest in sci-fi now. Granted, you know, my, uh, my main love is fantasy. It always will be right. Like Lord of the Rings, all, the, all that stuff. Like I, I love that stuff, but I like to change it up every now and then. Right. Like I don't want to play just Kings of War for a year straight. Like I like to play a little Armada, um, but I think having Dead Zone, having that fast-paced game where it's more, I want to say, intimate almost. And I really like the idea of having structures, like because I'm assuming. Um, so you have like each model has a, a a speed stat where it's the number of cubes that you can move. Exactly. Do you have yeah. to use so like if you were speed three, could you move up three cubes? Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, that's exactly right. So there should okay. be just basically like a logical way. So you, you assume that all the models, even the Forge Fathers, are kind of like crazy parkour special force guys, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, unless there's, you know, if there's just empty space, they can't claim, climb up nothing unless they've got a jetpack, right? Yeah. But if there's a wall for them to scramble up or something like that, they can move up, yeah. So they might be, the model bite might be for move. It might be one, two, or it might be two, three, for example. So it's, Either you move one space as a short action or move the second number as a long action, basically. But if you move into a cube where there's an enemy model already there, it automatically triggers a fight. Yeah. So it counts as a charge. So you basically get a free attack, at which point, if you're the attacker, you got an extra dice for charging or a couple of extra dice for charging. Mm -hmm. I forget what. But um, yeah, so there's loads of strategy. And for example, you've got you've also got your your command dice i'm pretty sure they're called command dice um and you can spend them to do extra things so you kind of bend the rules so let's say for example you've got a sniper with a sniper scope if you want to move him up a cube up up a up a to get a clear shot if you've got a move on your dice you spend that instead of physically moving him and then he can still use his sniper scope which is normally a long oh, action okay so that's just one one little example but there's loads of ways so you're you're not only thinking, okay, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to get on the objective or I'm trying to fire my sniper. But then you're thinking, okay, what's the smartest way of doing that? Um, and what's really cool is just those dice, you can spend one, you can kind of burn one of them at any time to re-roll one dice. So even if you roll and you don't get what you want, by the way, you get a re-roll. But if there's a dice and you think, oh, there's not a lot I can do with that, you can still, you, you can always use it for something. So the game is like unbelievably efficient. You have so many choices um but it's you feel honestly playing the game you feel clever because you think oh hang on a second 
Oh, I've got a dice there. Oh, I've got a splat, yeah, not, which is like I'm not used to one. feeling clever, so yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe this game is for me. <laughs> me neither, buddy. Me neither. Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll definitely give it a try. I, I'm very confident you'll enjoy it. It's just it's just incredibly incredibly fun. You can play it in a small space. Yeah, we, we'll definitely give it a go sooner or later, and, buddy. Man, what you said, so you were telling me about the uh, the reverse side of the uh, the mat that they have, how it has kind of like, hey, put this terrain here, paint these models, do that. I want to see them do that, but with Ambush for Kings of War. How, right. how cool would that be, like to put terrain in there and have, you know, maybe a 500-point list of both sides and say, okay, paint this regiment and paint this individual and put some a forest here. Like, that would be so cool. That's and that's something Clem talks about a lot, right? Is he wishes they put example lists, five hundred point lists or whatever, in those ambush yeah. boxes. Yeah. I think that would be it would be great to be honest, wouldn't it? But I really think seven fifty is a sweet spot for ambush, but I know even I mean honestly seven hundred and fifty points when you're just starting and brand new can be a little daunting, especially if there's like a regiment or two in there. But that's just yeah. I think I think Mantic is they made me very happy so far this year. So <laughs> I'm with you, buddy. I think 750 yeah. for me. 750 is the sweet spot because because yeah. you have enough units there. You still have to make really difficult decisions, but you've got five or six units, so it feels right. like Kings of War, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's fun, isn't it? Really is. Oh, Such yeah, a good I game. I can't wait for our game weekend. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we hit everything, didn't we? That's it, buddy. Yeah, thanks so yeah. much. So yeah, there's of course. more stuff. To, dear listener, keep listening. There's more stuff. So uh, Trent, me and Clem are just about to talk about our last gaming weekend. And then um, I have a go at recording uh, a story. But yeah, Trent, definitely give the short story a go. It's in two parts. The first part is very short. And the second part is kind of where the action kicks off. But yeah, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's the best bit of Mantic lore I've, I've read ever, I think. It's so exciting. Really, really oh, that's good. That's awesome. Fantastic, Trent. Thank you so much for joining me for this little unboxing slash extra episode of the of the pod. Of and course, anytime. Best, thanks, buddy. Best of luck getting your undead manically finished. Oh, I need it. I need it. Thanks. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Thanks so much. Yeah. Bye. Hey there, I'm Brian. And I'm Rick from Dead Zone the Podcast. And you're listening to Mantic Universe Podcast for everything Mantic under the sun. Okay, so Chris here from the past. So we're recording this segment independently of everything else. So we're all very confused. So it's Chris, and we've also got Trent on. Hey, guys. And we've also got Clem on. So we're – oh, hang on. Sorry, let me give you a chance to say hi as well. Otherwise, it's <laughs> – that, That's all right. I mean, that's what happens with time travel. Things get confusing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the Future Part 3 got very confusing. Trent, you're too young. Did you ever see Back to the Future? I did not. Oh, what? Essence of the 1980s. (laughs) What? (laughs) That you didn't see it when it it was in the movies, I can understand, but not at all. I mean, I get the general premise of it with the DeLorean and everything. Like, it's, I I got it. I got it. I feel old. old. That's how I this film is how we re- misremember the 1980s and think it was all brilliant. That's that's how it goes. Yeah, yeah no. You, right, that's it, Trent. Next time you're over, I'm going to ambush you with watching Back to the Future. Yep. So gaming weekend. Right. Yes. Good point. So the mistake we've made previously, Clem, is we've not recorded things punctually after we've had some kind of gaming event and then we've mostly forgotten what happened 
So we're meeting three days after the gaming weekend. And um, so we met for various times. So we had Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. And I think we all remember pretty well what happened. Most of it. (laughs) Mostly. So Clem was coming from Berlin. So he arrived very late Friday night. So missed the uh, missed the Friday festivities. And Trent, you were also working. So you also missed. You sort of arrived at the game shop, but kind of after. Yeah, yeah, I just, got just in, in time the, uh, to go home. Yeah, I got in at the tail end to get in the uh, groove photo, and then and then we and then we headed back to the house. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what, what did you play at the store, Chris? Like, yeah, uh, can you so tell us? Friday night was kind of the perfect chance to do some demos. Um, so, we played uh, Kings of War Ambush. And uh, my friend Mario had his first ever game. He's my buddy I normally play Dead, Dead Zone with, and he's played a little bit of Firefight. So he had his first game in Kings of War um, against Dennis. That was really cool. Um, I got a couple of people's phone numbers um, to do more demos down the road. People saw it and were interested. So that is, you know, that's good news. And it's all people I've spoken to and seen a few times. Um, so, you know, we're building something there. That's that's exactly why I wanted to do it in the shop, right? That's, so that's fantastic. Um, but also, it's just a really nice place to play. I really enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, we had so a couple of demo games of Ambush. I brought four armies, and then we turned into a two-versus-two battle with, with Manuel. Um, but we kind of started that a bit late, and 10 o'clock came around pretty quick and we got chucked out. So I think we only ended up playing three rounds of that, but it was good fun. And then, yeah, I think we should just go straight to Saturday morning, right? Yeah. Hey, Chris, I wanted to ask, what what was the name of that uh, game store again? I can never remember. Yeah. So it's Yoda's Data, which I, I, if I'm completely honest, I think is quite a silly shop name, but (laughs) things translate weirdly, right? So it's Yoda's Data in Idstein, and it's a lovely shop. It used to be a theatre that unfortunately closed down during COVID, so that's why in the pictures there's all the kind of like old film posters because they've left them up. But it's a lovely um, little shop, um, super, super friendly, super nice people. Um, I kind of jokingly say this, but it's absolutely true. So when you go in there, there are girls painting models, and that is not weird. And in other game shops I've been in, that would definitely be a, a thing. And the fact it's not a thing in Yoda's data makes me very relaxed. It's, do you know what I mean? It's it's mm-hmm. it's friendly, it's warm, it's it's not creepy as other game shops can be. Let's be honest. It's a nice space, yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> that was probably going into too much detail, but but you know I do feel that quite keenly, to be quite honest with you. And then Saturday was basically our ambush day, right? Yeah, I think we. Yeah, I think we woke up, ambush. had our uh, had our pretzel and coffee, and we got right to it, right? Got right to it. Yeah, I challenged you, Trent, which turned out to be a mistake. Spoiler alert. So let's. <laughs> <laughs> so well, while we're getting into it, let's very quickly just run through our respective 750 points ambush lists. Trent, do you want to take us? Uh, yeah, us I'll, t- I'll, I'll take us from the top. So uh, I played Undead. Um, I have a total of seven units, uh, 11 unit strength. I'll just start from the top here. So regiment of zombies, a troop of ghouls, two regiments of zombie trolls, two regiments of whites. And a necromancer with the inspiring talisman and surge six, so it's uh, it's a pretty hateful list for 750 points. I'm not gonna lie. I really say it's, 
yeah. list title, cuddly list or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it was the first time I played it. I had a, a really great time with it. Um, and it was nice to finally put some of my uh, undead models on the table because I feel like I've been painting for years now. But it's only been like three or four months, so making good progress. But to be fair, you have fit years worth of painting into three or four months, right? Yeah, it's really like a, a, a timeline of my entire hobby journey, so it's it's pretty interesting. I'm, I'm I'm very proud to have it in my display cabinet, even though it's only two thirds done. But but we're working on it. And you must air- feel. You must feel like Michael J. Fox, right? Because this is your the first army you ever did, so you're going back to the future. <laughs> All right, that was a pretty good plug. I was a bit concerned you wouldn't know who Michael J. Fox is, but I think from the from, from the context, I think you'll get it. Clem, do you want to go through your list, buddy? Yeah, sure. Um, so my list is just a small subset of my 2,300-point list. Uh, it's the same story, same mage, uh, trying to go on adventures. And so in the list, I have one mage priest with surge 8 and hex 3, uh, because I had some remaining points there. Um, I got three regiments of fire elementals, because why wouldn't I? Uh, and then on top of that, I have a regiment of Scorch Wings and a troop of Ancients, and I gave them the um, uh, Life Leech 1 item, because same thing, uh, to use up some points. And that's it. What about I your thought, list, Chris? I thought, again, that was a really good list. There's no there's no fat on that. That was just lean, mean, surging I- machine. I think yeah, it has some potential. Yeah, the the fire elementals can both punch and take a punch. Uh, the scorch rings are always nasty to deal with. So, and that's basically what they did in the game. Like, uh, played two games with Manuel in uh, uh he conceded uh, round four, I think, and we we started over again because the scorch rings just didn't play nice. Basically. And then in the second game, he conceded round two, or. <laughs> no, it took a bit longer. But no, the, the Scorch Rings don't play nice. That's a uh, long story short. Uh, if you if you don't deal with them properly, they will uh, hurt you. And as well, the Ancients with the, with the Defense 6, obviously that's really good. And what, yeah. I, what I didn't quite appreciate was the fact they inspire. It sounds like a really nice little bonus on top. But because they've got the big base, it's inspiring a big area, right? It is, really yeah, especially... For small points lists like this, you could not take an inspiring hero, and that frees up a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah, no, that, that, it is huge uh, uh, in ambush to have an inspiring unit. Sorry, Trent, I cut you off, buddy. Oh no, you're fine. I was just gonna say, Clem, it was. Uh, I feel lucky to to have watched you play those scorch wings because you just the angles you would find and the the placing, it, it was it was perfect. I, I feel like. I learned a lot about how to use flyers because me and Chris have talked about this before. I love speed 10. I absolutely love it. It's like speed 10 flying units are so much fun, but I always get them killed. I never get my points back for them. So I learned a little bit just from watching you absolutely smack Thanks. us with the regiment of scorch wings. Glad that uh, it helps. I mean, I wasted my um, Archfiend of the Abyss a fair amount of times, you know, because uh, that's the first lead that I've ever played, and uh, I really wanted to make that model work for some reason. And so many games, just just like you said, right? Like uh, 
you just don't know where to send it or you send it to the front of a regiment and then the regiment just murders it or like uh, bogs it down for the rest of the game and they're like yep my 150 points regiment just down your 350 points flyer um it happened a couple of times that they managed to get to the rear of the, the enemy and then it is game over for them but that's usually uh, not really the case against ex- a bit more experienced players. But yeah, they're always hard to really figure out well. But when you do, they are devastating for sure. And Scorchwings as well, at that price point, you can afford to be a bit more aggressive with them because if you lose them, it's not a 350 points disaster, is it? So, yeah. as, I mean, funnily enough, Trent and I were talking about this on WhatsApp this week. Is talking? We were talking about dragons and how neither of us are good enough at the game to play dragons and it was either as you said clem we've run them into a regiment and get them killed or we don't know what to do with them and just sort of have them do nothing for most of the game and then in my case then i charge some chaff or something at the end of the game and yeah take that chaff yeah and roll a load of twos and then like oh okay four wounds i'm disappointed okay yeah, 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 dragons are not so easy. I mean, I think there's, there are a bit like other things in the game where if you take one, it could work, it might be okay. And when you have two of them, any type of saturation uh, sorts uh, change dramatically the effect. It's like the Scorch Wings, like in my 2300-point list, I don't have one regiment or two regiments. I have four of them. And uh, it's not like just four times the same thing. It's because there are so many of them, you will murder three of them, and one will go through and will do enough damage or enough disturbance that it pays off for the other ones. So, yeah, it's it's sometimes a bit hard to make work just one big dragon. Like you, you need a support system to really pay its point in a, well, in, in a way. I have heard people say that, actually, on list builders and things, where if you're struggling to use a unit, take three of them and see how you go. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. cool so my list which i call rattle and bones so it is a regiment of enslaved guardian archers a troop of revenant cavalry two troops of revenant chariots a bone giant and a revenant champion with the surge five upgrade so he's just a cheap little surger and that is six units 750 points and a massive unit strength of five with one inspiring unit and no items yeah so uh yeah so first up so saturday morning trend i challenged you and yep i i must admit i think i played pretty well um i i, I stuck to the plan i had two, i think two things that sort of worked against me one is i thought you played really well so thank you you kept all your stuff together in a very cohesive way and i was trying to just sort of get you to spread out a bit because i think if i could have got you to spread out a bit more i think i could have you know jumped you but you positioned yourself really well you didn't make any silly mistakes which we're prone to do so you just you you were just very very effective and um you used your units properly and then there was there was just you know some zombie trolls i needed to kill and i just couldn't quite kill them right um but your whites you know, did what whites do. Yeah, you you used yeah. all your units really, really eff- eff- effectively. So in the end, um, it was one of those games where it felt like it could have gone either way up until the point it went, and then when it went, it really went in your favor. Yeah, it was such so, a good game, Chris. Like yeah. I don't I don't ever remember thinking 
like, oh my god, you know, you have some of those games where you're like, oh my god, it's turn three and I know I'm gonna lose or something like that, or like, oh, I got this in the bag. I don't think it was until like the bottom of turn five where I finally took a breath and I was like, okay, I think I might have this one. It it was just so close, but yeah, I actually found. Um, so this is the first time I've actually played with zombie trolls. And I found that them, you know, being large infantry height three uh, with obviously the whites behind them, they're not going to be able to see over them kind of limits your options a little bit. Like, that's why I love um, in the 2300 point games, like having a legion or a horde of zombies and then having the whites behind them. So everything, you know, the waves crash on the zombies and the whites fly up and charge from there. But so it kind of made me um, play a little bit differently than I'm used to. I mean, that being said, I haven't played undead in like a year, but. No, it was such an excellent game. And Chris, I got to say, I I love your list because you compete in every phase of the game, right? Like you have the you have the shooting, you have the magic, you have the uh, speed eight revenant cavalry, and then your combat with the uh, Shobik Junior. Like it's it's a really well rounded list. And Dollar honestly, store Shobik. I think I just I, I want to say the only reason I won is didn't I get lucky on like a nerve roll where like a pivotal nerve roll? I can't remember which one it was. There was, I think there was, I had a, a fair chance to win, and I think I needed to roll a six on the zombie trolls. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And after after that, I'm just looking down at the dice going, no, I think that's the game. And it was. But but you played really well, buddy. And uh, it was just, as always, just an awful lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. I, I loved it. That was such, such a great way to start the like full day of gaming. But Chris, you know why you messed up that roll, right? Why's that? You didn't use the dice cup. Uh, I'm telling you, dumb, the dumb. power of the dice cup. <laughs> I f- oh, no, I left the dice cup in the basement. Oh, yeah. no. when, it, when everyone had gone, I went downstairs and was like, no, here's my dice cup. My dreadball <laughs> dice cup I got from Mantic. Oh, I could have won. And um, perfect. But yeah, Trent, it was a very well-deserved victory, buddy. You played really well. You know, well done. Really, really well done. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it was a blast. What did you guys play? Sorry, what's the name, was it? Invade, I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah, the first one was Invade, and the second one was Dominate. Nice. And um, so, and Clem, you were off playing two games, while we only played one. Yeah, that? because, as I mentioned, so we restarted after a few turns. We played Dominate. And, uh, yeah, basically, the my list likes Dominate, right? Because the ancients are slow, but very sturdy. And the fire elementals sort of similar. They're not very fast at speed six, but shambling. But they are pathfinders, and uh, they can really take a punch and give a punch. And uh, so I managed to just uh, take my scorch wings to run around and take their time to threaten flanks and rears. And uh, yeah, from there it's 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 a bit hard. But yeah, and then we played uh, for the your second game, Chris, and my game three. We played uh, Invade again, right? And, yes, uh, we did, buddy. Go for it. Yeah, it was uh, kind of a scary Oh, sorry, process. sorry, Clem. Before we move on, we should probably say, so Manuel's obviously not here on the pod. Hey, Manuel, if you're listening to this. And he played his, uh, he also played Undead. But Jarvis Undead. Jarvis Undead. And it was quite a mixed, quite a mixed, mixed list, I would say. So he had some kind of hard-hitting yeah. cavalry stuff. But he was the only one of us who actually changed his list between games, wasn't he? Which was quite an interesting approach. Yeah, because I'm not sure he played much of ambush before like uh it was the first uh ambush list that he wrote 
I believe. And so he realized, oh, I need to adjust. Because uh, in the first version of his list, I think he had uh, like a vampire or what is it, a lich, a lich king? Like a relatively expensive hero that doesn't really make that much sense in Ambush or didn't really work so well with the rest of his list. And so he moves stuff around a little bit. Um, yeah, just to make, make it uh, slightly more nice to, to play. Um, but yeah, otherwise... I don't remember exactly what was in this, uh, like a bunch of infantry, like some zombies, as you do, some revenants, some revenant cavalry, um, some Soul River cavalry. I yeah, he had the troop of Soul River cavalry, which was really nasty. And I just want to say, because I, I played him my second, yeah, after I played Chris, I played Manual. I just want to say, I think in the future, there's there should be no list changes allowed for the weekend, because he absolutely stomped me. He tabled me. Let's go. Let's go straight. <laughs> let's go straight into this then, Trent. Because actually, because I think if I tried to change my list on the fly like that, I'd definitely cause myself more problems than I solve. Um, so it's really interesting that that happened. And I, actually, I don't. I'm not sure I really was paying attention to what happened in this game. So to be honest, I'd be very interested to to hear what happened. So he made the changes. Do you remember which scenario you guys played? Yeah, so game two, so game one, uh, when me and you played Chris, it was uh, invade. Game two was dominate, um, and I, you know, stacked up my center, had the whites behind, like kind of move it as a, I don't know, battle group, I guess is what you say. Which is what but, you did against me. Yeah. yeah, so I was feeling good, man. I was on a high after after beating Chris, right? He was feeling like Biff in Back to the Future Part Two, <laughs> and um, he just had, I think he had two two or three regiments of zombies and no matter what i threw at him i just i couldn't chew through it and he got a uh, he got a very good he he out sped me uh pretty pretty heavily because he had the troop of revenant cavalry and then the troop of the soul reaver cavalry uh, so i knew i was going to take the charge right but i was trying to position myself to be able to take the charge and then punch back but I did, uh, you know, um, he played like an excellent game. And no matter what I threw at his zombies, I just I just couldn't get through it. I really couldn't get through it. And, oh, man, Emmanuel's going to laugh if he hears this. Um, at one point, I think it was turn two, um, he charged his – so he charged his Revenant Cavalry into my troop of ghouls, right? So I was like, obviously, put the troop of ghouls out. He charged them. I'm like, perfect. That's exactly what I wanted them to do. I front charge him with a regiment of whites. I flank charge him with a regiment of whites, right? I mean, granted, it, okay, so it's only nine attacks because it's a regiment, but that's 27 attacks. I think one was hindered, so it was hitting on fours, uh, but it's still, you know, fours and threes at that point, and then the other one was threes and threes. It took me three turns with those two units, like still getting the flank to kill that unit, to Trent, kill that troop. Where was cowboy. your dice cup? Where was your dice cup? Oh man, I don't think I was using it that game. But it, I, it, if you're putting all that hurt into one, tr you know, one troop of revenue, yeah. you're not going to win the game, right? Because your exactly. your hard hitting things are not going to be able to do what they need to do. Yeah, that's a, rough. It was a vendetta at that point. And Emmanuel, he played an excellent game, like gummy up with his revenant cavalry, kept healing his zombies, life leech and stuff back, and it was it it, it it did really well. The zombies did work too. I'm pretty sure a regiment of zombies killed one of my regiments of zombie trolls. So it was interesting. Great game and a well deserved one to him. 
Yeah, fantastic. And I really enjoyed it was really swingy, right? We all won some, we all lost some. That was yeah. really, really fantastic. And uh Clem, let me just get out a cigar and a nice glass of caviar. <laughs> glass of caviar? Glass of what do people drink? Cognac, that's what I'm thinking. Or maybe I've got a water, you know, it's pretty good, pretty tasty. While well, you describe our game two. Yeah, I think uh, we played Invade and you won. Just spoiler alert. Um, yeah, we, the, can just, um, we can just cut there. Yeah, I think that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, from the um, the thing is in ambush is um, any potent shooting is quite scary because you lose units pretty quickly, right? Like shooting against a regiment or a horde is like, yeah, come at me, bro. Like uh, you can shoot at me for two turns. Before I start particularly shooting on fives with no piercing, right? Yeah, like a few plinks here and there. It's like against a regiment or hordes, no impact whatsoever, unless you do a lucky double six, like uh, like a foreshadowing for the big battle, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, so I was kind of um, uh, wondering how to to move my fire elementals to kind of st- uh, stay out of range or line of sight of the chariots and the enslaved guardians like um the nasty shooters so i stayed a bit behind too much and one thing after another uh the chariot troops just made it across the the board and that's uh i think that's the only no i had the ancients across the board as well uh but yeah it was still uh di- didn't manage to block you like you would think uh, eod is just shambling all along and so it's slow but once it's in charge range, it's not slow at all anymore. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, kind of how it went. I managed to deal okay with the Scorch Wings, which felt... Yeah, weak. yeah, because... So I sent them to the back, uh, as you do with these... Uh, my my uh, back, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like a speed 10 nimble. Of, of course, you want to throw it and try to take a threat in flanks. But you shot them down, I believe, right? That's right, yeah. Um, and you shot them with the enslaved guardians? No, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, in that case, that uh, that that works to deal with that type of that type of threat. But yeah, still an uh, interesting interesting list, and um, it's cool to see also the OD what they can do. Like the shooting and then charging is uh, quite interesting with them. When I started building the list, I was really keen on the idea. So I had a mega army and the um, the half of the Sands of Amun set. And basically what, what I, I set myself a little goal of, I'm just going to use the models I've got, make an army, see how that goes kind of thing, which is cool. So obviously you get a ton of infantry and a ton of cavalry in that. Um, but actually what I, <laughs> what I found is, um, I really enjoy the kind of because I, I had this idea of this like massive infantry army sh- slowly shambling up, but actually what I find incredibly fun is the faster stuff. So I love the chariots, for example. So I kind of, um, you know, over the weekend I kind of developed a pretty set in stone uh, battle plan, and I don't worry so much about surge. The only thing I surge early is the um, revenant, uh, the enslaved guardian archers, so they don't have to move and take the pot shot penalty. Um, so I kind of just move up eight inches, everything that can. The bone giant's a little bit slower at seven, but doesn't matter. And then I hope to get two t- turns of good shooting on on some of the key pieces across the board from me. 
Um, so, you know, I'll move forward, shoot, back up a little bit, shoot again. Um, and then because I'm, I'm, I've got 16 charge range with a lot of stuff, hoping actually that I get the first charge in as well. So I've hopefully by that point softened stuff up and then I can just hit first because as you, as you said, Clem on the weekend, the chariots, they've got, um, you know, thunderous charge too, which is fantastic, but in the grind, they're really, you know, not great, even though they're fearless 14 defense four, they, they don't tend to last long. So, you need to have an impact and the charge. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Speaking of the bone giants, the bone giant sandwich was delicious because they <laughs> charged the ancient and took a rear charge uh, surge from the fire elementals. And uh, so the ancient survived. I think you needed a, I don't remember, but uh, like a seven or something to route them, seven or eight, I don't remember. Yeah, did a decent right. amount of damage. But uh, they they held, and then you got a surge in the rear from the fire elementals. That was yeah, that was the one the one mis- mistake I made all weekend is I just forgot you had surge, which is stupid because I have Salamander's army, but I just I just plain forgot. Thought yeah. oh brilliant I can I can char- make a charge there and I'm you know scot free, but I was not scot free. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but anyway. um, really great game. But I just as Clem says I just just about managed to get you heroically threw a cheap hero in front of my chariots to try and stop them getting across the board but yeah not the right way yeah. right like I, if i had placed him slightly differently i probably could have stopped the charge because you would have had to charge him because now because he's not mighty you you basically ran through him right so exactly. it didn't stop you at all but if you'd have positioned him so I couldn't position my unit backward yeah, yeah exactly backward, you couldn't have gone through him so you would have had to charge that would have blocked maybe a little bit, but anyway, that's that's how it is. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no. So that was a that was a thing. We, I think we then took a break for a game of Amada. Uh, no, didn't we play the double right away? Oh, okay. Apologies. Uh, yeah. I think we, we early afternoon we played the two vs two. So we did. What did we do again? So yeah, I think Jarvis, played, uh, Jarvis, I... and. No, sorry, Trent. Save us. Yeah, no, sorry. So we so we did the the two games, um, and then Dennis came over. So I played a, a quick game with him, of just an ambush. And oh, then, how did that go? How did yeah, that go, no, it, it it was it was really good. Um, so I I ended up winning that one. Um, but I think Dennis got the uh he got hooked after that game, right? Which I'm super pumped about. Makes me feel good about myself. I'm a fun opponent, right? But he was playing Northern Alliance, and it was just a nasty list. Like that, the, I think that that's your list, right, Chris? The 750 Northern Alliance with the Cavern Dweller. Like it's just insane for that low points. Um, but the problem that that he was running into was on uh, his side of the table, the uh, terrain, because you know, with the three by three and with the ambush, you're supposed to play with a lot of terrain. Did not mix well with the uh, snow trolls, which are the monstrous infantry. So I think their monsters infantry, it's a it's a one fifty, right? So it's fifty by fifty. Yeah. And he couldn't since he had two regiments of those, he couldn't really like double charge and commit to kill any of my units. So I was able to kind of slowly shamble up the board. Uh, I'm pretty sure we played in bay just to keep it simple, because I honestly like in bay dominate control are my favorite scenarios. And then um I was able to get uh, a lucky flank charge on one of my whites 
and took off his uh, regiment of um, one of his regiment. Uh, I think it was human clansmen. And that was kind of his center. And when a center folded, we kind of just went out. But it was yeah, close. It, it, defense it, five. Yeah, with the defense five upgrade. Yeah. Once they're gone. Yeah. There was like, uh, I want to say there were three or four turns where we were just kind of facing off. Like we'd slowly move up. And then one of us would like move back a little bit. When they, around. I was like, okay, let's start throwing some stuff in. But it was a really good game. And seeing that cavern dweller in combat was just insane. And then after that was, uh, so we had five people at that point. So I think we, oh, that's when we played Armada. That's when we started. Trent's breaking up a little bit, but he's given us all the information we need. Yeah, so th- we then broke up for an, a game of Armada, which was, I think nominally, Trent, I was on your side, but, you know, I was very much on your side in spirit, if not necessarily paying attention yeah, to what was happening. Yeah. Um, but it was um, five Basilian ships against three dwarf ships. Was it 150 yeah. points in the end? We were kind of not sure how many. 160 points, I'm going to say it was. was that yeah, right? we got it to 160 because I brought a 200-point fleet. So I brought the Dreadnought with me, which is, I think, almost 100 points by itself. Um, but we tr- we tried to work it out, and I think it ended up being like 159 or one, 160 for both yeah, sides. Yeah, there was a tiny difference, wasn't there? And we played the scenario Flotsam and Jetsam, which is basically there's you know there's supplies in the sea that you're trying to you know sail sail around and pick up. Yeah, and honestly, for three ships, like it was uh, so it was uh, me uh, playing on the one side with my all three of my boats, and then um, Dennis and Manuel were on the other side with your northern five alliance basilians basilian basilian fleet yeah and they had five ships which in an objective game like that is definitely an advantage but honestly i was feeling pretty good because you know the dreadnought i want to say the dwarf dreadnought is like 112 structure points so my my plan was right just to run it up the board at its whole you know it's blazing by on speed three so it's moving nine inches at full speed um and I ended up having uh, two or three points on it, so I was feeling good. Um, but my so the dreadnought and the the abyss abyss the the XL for the abyss. Oh yeah, not the abyss. Yeah. Ooh, they, yeah, they yeah. Like that. yeah, the abyss. The exactly. abyss. We we, we kind of got up. We, we were fighting each other for like three turns, and um, I and on the last turn of the game, I activated first, and I got a so it's close range. And I think it was a rear rake. So I was going to do a ton of damage, right? I missed structure by one. And he turned around, rolled the nerve check, and just completely annihilated me. And at that and point... If, you, all, if you'd have got structure, the ship would have blown up. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. It just immediately went away. Would have went away. I would have had the tokens. Um, and But when he destroyed my dreadnought, all I had left was my hunter. So it was pretty easy for them to run it down on the, on the, the rest of the activations. It was a fun game, though. It really was. It's um, it's because Kings of War. It it feels like it playing an action film. It's like even you know double ones. It feels like say it's like a real nail biter. Whereas I maybe it's because I haven't played so much of Armada, but it feels Armada just feels like a relaxed good time to me. Maybe it's because I don't take it super super seriously, but um, I, I I love the way it looks on the table. It feels more kind of casual. Did you get that feeling as well, Trent? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I feel like. With Kings of War, you're almost more—I don't know—more focused. It's kind of—it's kind of what you were saying. Like I could—I could see playing a game of Armada, drinking a couple of beers, laying back, like just not really worrying about it. I will say Armada for me feels 
it's it's almost the the pace is slower because you know in kings of war the first two turns is just a lot of movement and positioning but once those first units clash like kind of all hell breaks loose right armada it's interesting because you can get in close range pop your shots and then you kind of you know maneuver around the board and then so you sail you, off you're both sailing off again yeah, right yeah. you carry but, on sailing I mean, it is a naval battle, so it's not like you're just gonna sit there and fight the whole time. So it's it's definitely feels different, and I I absolutely love the uh, the the model options for the ships. Like the dwarf fleet looks amazing. Like all the other ships, and then also the the trident realm uh, the models look amazing too for those when they come out. But it's uh, it, it's fun, and it's always nice to break it up. You know, I just played three games of ambush to change it up a little bit. Yeah, that was cool. I mean, it's something I think we won't dwell on it, but um, something Clem said a few times, and I, I kind of agree, uh, I know where he's coming from, let's say, is that um, the game takes just probably about 30% longer, longer than you think it will. I think that's probably about yeah, right. Yeah, right? I, I It agree does go on. That. Yeah, it's I, eight I turns. Feel like the, I do like that there's a guaranteed number of turns, so it's eight turns, right? Yeah, eight turns. Um, but I feel like... If it was six, maybe I would enjoy it more, but I don't know. I've I uh, haven't I've played like three or four Armada games, but I've had a blast every single time. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think I agree with you, Chris. Like, I love how it looks on the table. I love uh, the models are really nice. Like, I I enjoyed making my Brazilian fleet. Uh, but the game itself, like, in a way, I like it because it's quite different from the other uh, games that I play. So you really have to think differently about it. But at the same time, I guess probably I'm not experienced with it yet uh, enough. I don't really understand what's going on, right? Like it's a bit hard to figure out, okay, what's going to happen maybe in three turns. And so I think in a way it's a bit frustrating for me because of that. Like I I feel like, oh, you know, I'm just along for the ride. Like I'll just move chips forward and see what happens. But I can't really come up with a strategy, if that makes sense. Um, I guess. Oh, that's a, that's 100%. To... That's 100% where we are. Yeah, yeah. It's 100% like, oh, I guess I'll move over here and shoot the cannon. It's not a what, where will I be in three turns time and how am I going to win the objective? It's like, oh, I could pick up this token. Oh, good. It's worth a point, you know. Yeah, but, you know, like deploying ships is like, yeah, just throw them on the table and be like, mm, I'll see. Them. Who knows? You but know? I, st- I still feel like because Kings of War is so intense and we've played so many games of Kings of War over the weekend, I still thought it was a really nice kind of palate cleanser. You know, it was a little bit of lemon sorbet after, you know, a spicy curry, let's say. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. After an intense. That was a great cleanse. analogy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just a little zesty, you know, amuse-bouche. Uh, good. No, that's not what Nimu's Bush is. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Cool. Um, and then we played a game of doubles, right? So I think at this point, Trent, you were pretty fried. So oh, you were, yeah. You were I like, a... oh, we've got an odd number. I'll be the, I'll, I'll sit this one out, guys. I'll yep, be all yep. right. I'll just sit and drink Orangina. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> I remember, I think the first time Clem came over to my house, and I think I told you this, Trent, already, but for the for the benefit of the podcast, whatever benefit this has, and I, I said to Clem, Clem, we've got Orangina. And Orangina is obviously from France, and I was expecting him to go, wow, Chris, this is it's been years since I've had a good Orangina. Oh, my God, what a hero you are. And he was like, uh, yeah, okay. You know, whatever. <laughs> you know, I can't drink like, sugar. Uh, <laughs> Clem, don't you uh, don't you love Orangina? You know, it's like a you know, 
<laughs> uh, I think I had one when I was a kid a couple of times. I don't really remember, to be honest. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's just me. I mean, that's another thing, right? Like the, A lot of, week of alcohol was consumed this weekend, but not by us. I'm sure somewhere someone had a lot of alcohol, but none for none by us. I had some alcohol-free beers. Right. I very much enjoyed them. Yeah, right. very nice. Craft alcohol-free beers. Very tasty. Yeah, very nice. Uh, good. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, that's enough kind of – and as we're – speaking of which, I, I think I was actually kind of mostly cooking dinner while we had that game of Armada. But anyway, so then we then we got on to the doubles game. Right. So we so played – So the Saturday doubles what, game. So it was, if I'm remembering this correctly, so Trent sat out and it was me and, and Dennis with his Northern Alliance. So EOD and the Northern Alliance, yes. Yeah, that's the it. most natural allies in the world. Again, un, undead, Manuel's undead, but he's he's playing them basically as Ophidians, right? With his right. Basilea models, etc. And he's got a really cool backstory for that, right? Yeah. And obviously, Clem, you and your salamanders. So it's the, yep. the most natural allies in the world. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Clem, how, how much? <laughs> how much do you remember of this game? So, I remember a little bit. I think the scorch rings did scorch ring things again. Basically, I think the, um, I got some help from Manuel in the center uh, with his um, like the Soul River cavalry uh, came from. Uh, his side a bit more to the center and how so I, me... I remember this game pretty well if you if you don't mind buddy I don't go ahead. Yeah. so it was it basically it was the northern alliance facing off against clem salamanders which was risky because the northern alliance didn't have any shooting or really anything faster than speed seven so that was a worry i'll be honest and then i was facing it off against manual we had a big um a big impassable terrain thing in the middle of the map that kind of naturally meant it was 1v1 you know two lots of 1v1 if that makes any sense dear lister so i was looking over you know what kind of ended up happening is i was focused on the 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 enemy army in front of me and i was only kind of after every turn i was kind of glancing over at dennis which was a mistake because he's a really new player um then clem you're exactly right you got your scorch wings into a really scary position there wasn't a lot dennis could do about it it was kind of do i turn around and face them or do i let them come onto us it was not a nice position to be in and then i think I was actually very interested by Dennis's reaction to this. So I think he thought at one point he was out of charge range. I think he he thought he was out of charge range from the fire elementals with the 12 inches. But because he's a, a new player, he didn't know it was kind of base to base. He thought it was, you know, like, you know, anyway, it doesn't well, that matter. You had to measure the whole movement. Yeah, he thought. Oh, that that's exactly right. Exactly. So, so he, he thought, exactly. oh, you, you don't have 12 inches of movement because if you pivot, it will be more than 12. I said, no, no, sorry, it's it's from the whole front. And uh, yeah. So and I so kind of looked over and there was just fire elementals and all things flaming hanging off of every possible angle of the Northern Alliance where they'd just been double charged everywhere. Um, but Dennis explained that to me. So he misunderstood the role. And I kind of said to Clem, oh, Clem, he's not understood the role, the, the rules of the game. Maybe, you know, maybe we think about this. And Dennis just said, no, 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 I'm learning. That's fine. I won't learn if I don't, you know, play the game properly. So, and I was super impressed by that because if that was me, you know me, I'd just be having a little moan going, Oh, it's really unfair. I didn't know that. Oh, I'm telling my mum. 
Um, so <clears throat> it went very badly for the Northern Alliance, as as it would do, where you just jumped on him and, and stomped him. He did pretty well. Like uh, I, I set a, na- a nasty trap, and he reacted, I think, the best way possible, like in game terms, but also as a player. It was uh, really good, uh, really good on his part for sure. Yeah, he fought on heroically, didn't he? Bless him. Um, at the end, he w- he was left with the um, with just the cavern dweller. Who was having the time of his life, though? He was just like, oh, delicious enemies everywhere. Um, but you know, I know absolutely. I think Dennis did did really from there. He you know he rallied valiantly and did really did his best. And then on my side, um, I think what was crucial was Manuel had misplaced his. I think it was his Revenant cavalry, wasn't it? It was like his one really hitty unit. He kind of misplaced it so he couldn't easily get get at my stuff. So I think about turn two or turn three, he made the decision to divert the other way towards Dennis around the impassable terrain thing, because actually he could get a charge there. I'm still not convinced it was the wrong decision because he had made a mistake that wasn't going to go away. He was still going to be stuck behind some zombies or something. He wasn't going to have a good charge at me um, or indeed get a charge at me, I think. Um, So, but that turned out to be um, a crucial factor in as much as, he didn't have anything hitty left on my side. Um, so I could just do my shooting. His stuff was really slow. So I had full control over when the fight happened. I shot the heck out of him, multi-charged his stuff and, and just ground it down. Basically he was healing, but not enough. And it was quite, uh, I think I finished the game. Um, I didn't lose any units. And I think I had a total of four wounds on one, one troop of um, chariots. And that was just about it. And I think he, he just had a, a necromance left or something. He just had one one hero left. Um, but we were playing the one with the six segments. And, I, and I'm sure someone will remember Control, his name. yes. Yeah, we were playing Control. And um, your side of the battle, Clem, you'd, you'd almost entirely won. As I said, there was just the cavern dweller left. Um, but because your stuff is so slow, we realized you couldn't get into enough of the segments, board segments, to yeah, get enough I, points to I win. Yeah, I kind of got um, carried away a little bit because usually my strategy for control is to just uh, aim for the, um, uh, you know, the junction of all four uh, squares. So there's basically two points on the map, yes. which are bet- which are basically the key points on the map, right? Exactly. So yes. you aim for that, but you weren't quite that. You were quite close, I think, but not. You weren't quite I, there. Were I. W- you? I kind of got carried away and charged stuff forward, like focused a bit too much on kill. And so I did kill quite well, but instead of uh, getting back to playing the scenario turn four or five, I it, it took me a bit longer and then it was too late to um, you know, bring back stuff. Because I, I had a bunch of unit strengths left on, left on the table. And so if my unit strengths had been placed better, it could have worked out better for uh, our alliance. But ultimately, like the DOD um, were faster and also spread out a little bit more, and uh, yeah, worked out better. What was interesting as well, buddy, is I think it was turn four where I you were charging in the scorch wings, and I kind of said to you, oh, maybe maybe just go on an objective. And you're like, well, I will, but turn five I will, but not turn four. Yeah, and then I think actually Dennis got got a chance to kill the scorch wings. I'm not sure how, exactly how they died, but they did die at some point. And then of yeah. course that robbed you of a flying nimble unit strength. Yeah, that, we could have scored one more corner because uh, our bottom 
right corner was uh, no one scored it in the end. Um, I'm not sure it would have made the difference, but it's inter- It's just interesting. Yeah, yeah in hindsight. Yeah. And Trent, I think you got a, a good view of the the carnage. Is that just about just? I think that's a pretty good summary of what happened. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. I was uh, I was on the side with uh, with with Clem, so I was kind of watching the Northern Alliance and the Salamanders go at it. But yeah, it was, and that that was uh, what I was talking about watching with the score twings. It was nasty. It really was. But I thought it was interesting when Manuel decided to. You were talking about his uh, soul soul reaver cavalry. Um, when he kind of split and went over there, which I think was the right move because one thing I like about ambush, there's so much terrain. And I think at that point there was like a forest, a hill and a building all together. So it was completely blocking him. And uh, you said it earlier, but if he didn't take that charge, then you could charge him. Right. Or it was something like, yeah, that. I, I would have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of stuck. So, I don't. I don't think it would have helped him to to stay on my side. Yeah. It would have helped him to stay on my side had he positioned everything differently. But of course, by that point, you know, what can you do? Um, but it, yeah, really, it was a really fascinating game because it. I mean, it was a doubles game, but it was just two completely opposite sides. It was you know a big victory for one side on one half of the board, big victory for the other side, and then just scrabbling to try and get the points at the end. And then I think that was our last game on the Saturday. Yep. And then Sunday, Trent, what did we do? So we put together a 40, two 4,600-point lists and then one 2,300-point list each. Yeah, so it was, uh, I don't know, whatever. 7,200 points per side. Yeah, yeah, it was total. Three times 2,300. Yep, so it was uh, it, it was interesting um, we ended up playing on a we doubled the table, right? So it was, uh, 12, it was yeah. a twelve by four. And when we first set it out, me and Clem were putting out the terrain. We were like, "Oh man, this is this is way too big. Like we're never going to use all the space." But we ended up using like ninety percent of the table, so it was it was pretty insane getting it set up. But it was um, so seventy two hundred points on uh, my side. It was me and Chris, so we had the evil undead and EOD. And on the other side, it was a uh, Clem and Manuel. So they had the uh, Salamanders and then the Ophidians, right? The good undead. I would have liked if we would kind of gone into the story a bit more. But I think, honestly, we were so busy playing and having fun. And also, quite frankly, it was all pretty exhausting. So we never quite yeah. we never quite got on top of the story. But I think what we kind of agreed is uh, so my Empire of Dust guy, he's reached the incorrect conclusion that um manuel's undead ophidians are but were behind his city being destroyed which actually is completely not true but he thinks it's true so he's he's going along with that so um trent i can't remember if we agreed how your army who is from you know i think you're from east of the rift i don't think we agreed in the end um how they actually got down because we were in the cracked lands um clem's army had sailed up the the sands uh sandstone stone sea um to to get to where we were so we kind of had an idea of what was kind of happening story-wise but it was very much just a right this is good versus evil what's going to happen no you don't you don't remember we, we, we worked it out because my uh my undead they're they're with the forces of nature and they all hate humans so you guys 
found us and you're like hey we need some help and then we'll help you kill some humans afterwards and i'm like all right let's do it nice perfect perfect always up for a good time there's a there's a band called um against me and uh they quite men quite regularly mention killing whitey in their songs even though they're whites but you know is that very much that kind of, anyway what am i talking about <laughs> yes good so we had a massive battle clay so clem you know how were you feeling going into it um it was kind of scary because um so i deployed so the 4600 of salamanders kind of the right half of the table uh, i would say like most of it on the right half of the table and trent you deployed a lot like a big chunk of it's more in the center of the table yeah. and so i had a good chunk of stuff uh, in front of me in, in one area the rest was a bit more balanced although christian ended up putting some eod's in the in the hole that he left yeah so i, I think this was partly due to the confusion over how much of the board we were because i think we couldn't quite work out how big our battle lines would be so we kind of weren't really sure how much the board we need turns out basically we needed all of it so i think that caused a little bit of confusion in terms of where models would go um but also i was busy i, could, I was very tired so i was kind of faffing with my list and everything and basically just wasn't up to speed where i should have been so i you guys were all putting models down because we were like right wouldn't clearly it's a mistake you know taking it in turns to both place a model and waiting for the other team so we just said right get your models down except i wasn't putting any models down so you know it's it's my fault in as much as i wasn't there to back up my teammates so they were you know trent blessing was doing his best but you know when you don't have support it's tricky so um i mean I good up- deployed entirely before you guys placed about half of your army anyway. Well, if if good, we're doing dodgy movement tricks. There's something that's the other suspicious. way around, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the other exactly. way around. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take a lot of ownership for the for the snafus, but also I think by that point we realized. I mean, before we'd even set the game up, we realized we just simply didn't have the time for it, right? Because I think yeah. by the time we were ready to play, we had about three hours to, before we had to start breaking everything down again yeah which you know even it is one that it is even less than that exactly buddy so i think it was about two 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 hours 45 minutes so it is what it is we, we you know we position things sloppily turn one we moved up really stupidly you know there was there, there were loads of charges that we just didn't think about because we were kind of rushing and tired and all the rest of it so um it was really so yeah so let's let's discuss the double one because that was incredibly funny clem mentioned it earlier six some plink shooting went into your um drake or what is it clan lord on fire drake or clan something like lord that on fire drake yes yeah, like basically it's with a with different. a brew of sharpness like the stupidly serious guy yeah, yeah op yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like he took 17 19 defense five come at me i think he took two wounds just one just oh he took one wound and trent double six uh yeah double six tip no no, no was, like, he was about to roll he's like wait i need the cup and the dice <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so good so so good oh, that, was, that awesome. was so enjoyable and that was very much our highlight of the game everything from there was massive uh it was it was downhill all the way um so yeah so we kind of positioned sloppily manual played really well um clem was just killing stuff i think we made um i think trent and i agreed actually there was 
it was a really good idea to put the zombie legions in front of like for example the fire elementals because fire elementals do they only hit on fours but they're doing like really good quality attacks but they're only rolling 18 dice hitting on fours so you know something like a zombie legion it's gonna it's gonna be totally fine right it's gonna hold them up all day if that's what you want to do even being double charged it's probably going to be all right for a bit so i think we had some good ideas and and I, I really like the idea, Trent, of like, as you had in the ambush game, kind of layering things. So like instead of spreading your stuff out, you're you're moving forward in kind of a combined way so that nothing nothing's going to get isolated. That was really good. Um, but the way we played it, because we were kind of putting things down quick and I don't think you can really appreciate how many unit with that many units. It's very, very difficult. And I think actually Clem did a brilliant job of kind of understanding his army a lot better. And I think that's what decided it. But we kind of threw units down without really thinking about it. Um, sorry, Trent, go for it, buddy. Yeah, and uh, you, you were talking about layering, right? So I think deployment was on point. The layering was perfect. The execution, subpar. Because right, I got right. like like Chris was saying, I got way too excited. I charged zombie legions in. I charged wraiths in. I put some gorb lights in. I charged with my dragons. And then I'm like, okay, awesome. I'm gonna charge. I'm gonna do a few wounds. And then next turn, I'm gonna follow up with the whites, and we're gonna punch a hole right through the center. Well, when the next turn came around, nothing at all had died. And I realized that all five hordes of my whites did not fit anywhere. So they just moved up seven and stayed there. That's all they did. That's like 1,500 points of units that just like, "Eh, okay, I guess I'll shamble up seven inches and then that's that. (laughs) And honestly, I think for us to win the game, they needed to be just like a buzzsaw cutting into stuff, right? We just needed needed them cutting a sway through through the table. And then I think there was my side. I mean, I was just getting destroyed by manual you know by this point you know he had his really hitty stuff there it was uh, it was pretty pretty dodgy i charged um one of actually one of the key problems i had was i had a horde of um skeleton spearmen and they had a flank charge on a basically on a dragon like undead dragon whatever that guy is so i thought god 60 attacks it's only hitting on fives but it wasn't hindered i thought i gotta take i gotta take that did i reckon two wounds <laughs> uh you know it's fives than fives uh so yeah and, and actually i think i think we worked now and it should they should have done four wounds or something which again you think about it and you go i shouldn't have taken that charge but it was like rolling 60 dice come on but but as well at that point i mean the whole that game it was like a you know wwe crazy i mean it, you know if you're not if you're not doing that, you've done something wrong in this game, right? It wasn't yeah. it wasn't about making sensible decisions. It was doing crazy wacky things, right? Um, but yeah, Manuel played really, really well, I have to say that say that. And then I think the only thing the only other thing I probably would dis, would touch on, because I think you guys have done a great job of explaining the game. The 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 really interesting flank was a the complete other side to me, where um Trent and Clem were <clears throat> Were, were sort of um, staring each other down. So there was a huge piece of impassable terrain. I think it was one of the massive rocks I 3D printed. So it was kind of, there was probably a foot the other side of the massive rock and on the flank. And it was, and Trent had put down two hordes of werewolves and the lycan hero, the werewolf hero kind of thing. Yeah, lycanus. 
And I think that was that was about it. Is that right? Oh, the I, dragon had the, as well. I had the dragon over there. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. You also had the dragon. And Clem had put down a troop and a regiment of ancients, the Phoenix, and I think something else as well. The Horde of Scorchwings. Horde of Scorchwings, exactly. Um, and to me, this was super, super interesting because to me, it was very obvious that, that Clem had set up a trap there. Um, in as much as defense six with loads of, you know, radiance of life and heal and stuff like that. But, um, but of course, if Trent doesn't go into that, then we've got a ton, again, we've got a ton of points sitting there, not doing, not doing anything. So it was a really, again, we were in a really tricky situation. Yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah. So it was, it was really, really interesting. And it was, I think that that corner kind of summed up our, um, that summed up our battle because we couldn't yeah. do what we needed to do largely down to our own kind of positioning and things like that. But I think it's so difficult to predict and, and figure out what you're trying to do with such an enormous army. So, you know, I think if we did it again, Trent, which I'm, I'm sure at some point we will, I think we would, we would have positioned ourselves completely differently. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think uh, me, Clem and Manuel were talking um, when we were when we were getting set up, it would be really cool to do uh, the um, like a blind deployment. So I don't know, put like a sheet up or a huge piece of cardboard, and then throw our oh, that will be the way to and do then, it. Yeah, That's go a from there. Super cool yeah. idea. That's a super cool idea. I love that. So yeah, so I think we agreed. So then, because actually, we only to be honest, we only played two turns, Trent and Clem. Clem and Manuel played three. You guys played three. We only played two. We never played our third turn. Mm-hmm. But basically what we did was we kind of broke the ball down into sections because we were playing invade because that, that's the one that makes the most sense, right? If you're playing dominate, it's going to be strange. Oh, yeah. Um, if you play invade, the whole board is valid. Um, and basically we broke it up into sections and said, okay, well, honestly, what do we think happens that here, like who's pushing forward, who's not pushing forward. And I think we agreed there wasn't any board section where Trent and I had the ascendancy. It was either, well, this looks like a stalemate, or Manuel and Clem are, are clearly going to going to push through here. So, it was unfortunately evil was defeated in this instance, which is very disappointing. So that's the second massive crazy game we've had, and, and Goods won. But I think the, um, yeah, the, ultimately we said both flanks were sort of pushing more in the favor of Good. The center was solidly stuck in no one will punch through ever, and that's about it. But I think. Yeah, for me, the interesting takeaway from the game is also it does really change the way unit works uh, in a larger scale battle like this. Like, for example, I remember thinking, oh, I absolutely need to have units to protect my rear because with that many points, both sides will have flyers, right? Like you always, always have to keep stuff to deal with something jumping over. Whereas in 2300, well, that can happen and you have to deal with it. But at the same time, it's kind of limited in how much troops you have. And so, yeah, I thought it's interesting because it kind of changed the dynamic of some units. Uh, in a, like 7,000 per site is uh, something else entirely in a way. Um, and I think also, yeah, like we said, we should have done that on Saturday instead. And then you have a bit more time. Um, you can push it and you're not pressed by, oh, we need to pack up and leave. But I think also you really have to play slightly differently and maybe a bit more aggressively or not overthink it too much and make it a bit more um, like an epic battle because otherwise it starts to take quite a while, I believe. Um, 
yeah, so for me, those are the, the two main takeaways. Um, yeah. From my perspective, I mean, I think we all really liked the the novelty of it and just how epic it was. I mean, it looked awesome on the table, but we all kind of talked about at various points that this was such a huge amount of work to get just to get the the army's plan, the table done, the, the just everything down logistically and everything like that. I think at certain points we all said the the doubles game of ambush was really fun, you know. Yeah, it didn't really add so much compared to it, right? Like uh, from a gaming perspective, sure, you see a lot more units on the table. That's a nice sight to take a picture. But once you start playing, having 1,500 per side with four players playing it is almost as interesting, if not more interesting in a way. I'm going to say, honestly, it's more interesting because let's say you lose a horde of zombies in the, the massive game. Oh, well. You know, it's like, oh, well, never mind. Whereas, you know, if you play in the seven, you've only got 750 points. Okay, you don't have a, you don't have that unit in ambush, but it feels, it feels more exciting on the, on the, and I think actually, Clem, when you said we should have played it on the Saturday, yeah, if we were really, really leading into the big battle, we should have. But I thought about this since, and do you know what? I'm, I'm so happy with the Saturday we had. I wouldn't swap the Saturday we had with all the interesting games and exciting moments. I wouldn't swap it for a, a crazy battle. No, to, no, I meant more turns. like play the big battle in the, in the evening, like play the ambush two by two on Sunday morning and play the normal two, uh, two against two in the Saturday evening. But ultimately, I think between playing one 7,000 point per side battle and playing, playing two or three 2,000 per side, uh, again, 2 vs 2, I, I very much prefer the second option. Um, yeah, I think it, it makes more uh, for a much more fun game. My favourite bit of the big battle was actually when me and Trent were working really closely together and we were talking about strategy and like, okay, buddy, I'll roll the dice. You, re- you read out what I need to roll. That was the best bit. And then, and then Clem, you made the really good point of, uh, guys, we don't have time for this. Like, go and do your stuff. So actually, the the ambush game felt more interactive, which is what I love, right? Mm-hmm. Playing doubles yep. is my favorite, you know, with, with a hero like Trent, it's, it's my favorite thing <laughs> in the world, right? It's just, to me, it's the better, like, but, you know, playing with one good friend is great. Playing with three good friends is better for me. That's how I see it. You know, that's like, it's just my dream, you know, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, the ambush game felt more interactive because it's a quick game anyway, we've got time to kind of discuss tactics and yeah, of course our two opponents are hearing everything that we're saying. It's not a, that's part of the fun, secret, but that's part of the fun. Exactly. That's part of the fun and making fun of each other, etc. So I, I did, I want to like the big battle and I do like, it's cool. You know, I think oh, we've got all this, mo- all these models and we've got the mats and you know, we can do, we got the tables, we can do it. But part of me thinks, yeah, yeah we could we could have played a lot more if great you have games. Even ambush. more time, then yes, maybe I think it makes sense. Or to make it even crazier, right? Like uh, I think what I would do is uh, play on a twelve by four, like we did, and maybe six thousand point per side, but I have six players per side, or something stupid like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that yeah. sounds interesting. Yeah. yeah, like three two thousand point lists. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, uh, and I think one thing we need to look into is how can you make it uh, more interactive? Like, not just, okay, it's three 1vs1 games that happen to be on the same table. 
because I think that's kind of a kind of a risk. But yeah, and ultimately, I, I think yeah, I would just uh, just play more ambush in uh, smaller size games. What about having a, as you said, guys, like a a three versus three massive game with a chess clock? Where like, come on, you, you know, like the last person to finish doing their thing is the person that has to press the chess clock. So if they're on the far side, they have to kind of like run round and, and hit it, you know, that would be kind of fun. Yeah, I like that idea. And it's probably something to do or, uh, yeah, I'm sure we can come up with interesting ideas. And that, and that that will just change it completely from, you know, three people just sort of endlessly procrastinating to like, oh, for God's sake, go, 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 go. But you could do it also, yeah, for the the seven thousand point battle that we have done. If you keep the same clock as a normal twenty three hundred point battle, then th- there's no question that you won't fuck around and measure every angle uh, very carefully. Like you have to just throw stuff forward, otherwise you clock out. Exactly. I think that's that's maybe uh yeah that's maybe a good thing to try. You're right. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, super. So yeah, so, so what yeah. are we doing for the next one? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. Um, well, we're looking for very much looking forward to Trent having his man-hating halflings ready. So, what oh, do you reckon, yeah. buddy? Three weeks? Oh man, I, they're <laughs> they're still in the plastic. I don't even want to think about building all those infantry models right now. <laughs> You're right. Go back to the undead. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and um, I mean, to me, I mean, the the. I, th- I mean, it was overall, I mean, I had such a wonderful weekend, but the the thing that really stands out for me is just how good Ambush is, to be quite honest. And I love doubles Ambush. As, as I said, that's probably my favorite. But just that's the perfect example of comparing Ambush to our crazy 7,000 points aside game is like playing Ambush, you're really not losing anything. You're, you're not. It's just, you know, you get so much bang for your buck. You're getting a great game. It feels epic. And it's all done and dusted really quickly and you can play again or you can play someone else or, you know, it's just, it's just fantastic, right? It works brilliantly. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, uh, um, you know, ambush, you can do whatever points you want below 995 or below, right? That's the intent. And 750 is just such a sweet spot because everybody has, you know, five, six, seven, eight units on the board. The entire game can be done. And Chris, I think, Ours took 45 minutes, and I felt like we were playing slow too. But it yeah, was me just, too. It, and I, and you're right; it does not water down the game at all. Like all the small changes for the objectives, um, you know, decreasing the size, smaller table, increased terrain, does a really good job to make it feel exactly like a 2300 point game of Kingswood. And I, I lo- it's my favorite way to play the game now. Like I absolutely love it. Yeah, that's so interesting. The only downside for me is I can't take my really good EOD toys. It's like yeah, I can't. I can't, I can't take my Shobik. zombie legions. <laughs> yeah, this is Shobik's less talented older brother. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like Shobik, but he can't act as well. Uh, good. It's it's like with the Baldwins, you know. Uh, good. Cool. Right. Well, guys, we, I think we we thought we probably would need about thirty five minutes to talk through our gaming weekends, and we just we just hit an hour and a half just on this section. <laughs> It was a good weekend. It's not like us, is it? God. Pretty good. Um, super. I, I, I think I think that summed it up pretty well, guys. Yeah, I, I agree. We did I, everyone, agree. I think we did everyone uh, enough credit who's not on the call to defend themselves, you know? <laughs> pretty much. But just remember, no changing list from now on. 
<laughs> hey, I'm not. I'm not changing my list. Yeah. I'm really, right, I'm really happy with it. Change lists. Like you must take a different list every time. Oh, that, oh you know what? So cool. And yeah. that you, you just it, made, me, made me yeah, think yeah. of it, Clem. Um, maybe so. Let's say we we have a day like a a, a Saturday where we're like, hey, we're gonna play four like three or four games of ambush. Maybe you bring like, okay, I have two thousand points. And every game you can you can like sub in units right to get back down to the 750 or whatever we're playing. That would that would make it interesting. That would be interesting. And the other thing, Trent, we did is it was your idea. And it was awesome. Of like we just swapped we just swapped armies. Yeah, that was that was yeah. fun. When we did that. That was a lot of fun. That was my first game of ambush too. When we did that. Or another version is you bring three thousand points of mo- uh, like on paper. And a unit that dies in the game cannot be used again in another game. I like this. And you have, you have 3, oh, that is really like cool. Stuff that is in the boat. And you have that's four awesome. To- no, that's really cool. Clay. Did, buddy, did you just think of that? Yeah. That's a cool. I, I love that. I'm going to write that down. That sounds amazing. It really does. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a seriously good idea. So like by but so if you're doing really badly by the final battle you've got like oh shit we've got I've got some snow foxes who else is alive yeah. but but it, I mean it would just be it'd just be awesome fun wouldn't it yeah but then it's up to you right like uh, you want to take all the good units in the first game yeah go ahead yeah yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't um, have a Shobik anymore but I've got this guy he looks like Shobik but he's not as good. <laughs> Good. Um, super cool. Um, I really right. enjoyed that, guys. Thanks ever so much. And I'm so glad we've recorded it now and not even in like two days' time, you know? Yeah, at some point. Makes we a big forget. difference. Yeah, yeah. At some point in the near future, we forget. Awesome. So, guys, if you can carry on making 500-point Forces of Nature lists, if you can kind of have half a mind to kind of how you would upgrade oh. it to 750 as well, that would be awesome. Sorry, Chris, Trent. do you want to stop the recording? Sorry, I just wanted to. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Make it a little bit easier on you. Yeah. Actually. Hello, dear listener. Chris here. So for this episode, I've tried to do something a little bit different. So I've recorded the full of Omega 7, the fantastic short story that's on free on the Mantic website. There's a link in the show notes. It's in several parts, so I've split it into several parts. And I'm pretty sure they don't do this on Audible. I've recorded it all in a single take. So there are mistakes in there. I apologize for that. Uh, But I still think there's some value in it. It's a really cool story. So if you want to read it yourself, please go to the Mantic website. Link is in the show notes. But I hope you enjoy the listen. Within the halls of the clades of the Five Daggers, three shadowy figures sat in near darkness. Occasionally, their aging Asterian faces were lit briefly by assistants handing them data screens before being shooed away. One of the figures was about to dismiss their attentive assistant when something caught their eye and they motioned for the data pad to be passed back in order to take a second glance. An eyebrow was raised in the darkness, the equivalent of a scream of shock in any other less civilized race. We may have an issue, rasped the voice. There was a pause, the Asterians have lived for eons. There was no need to rush. Proceed, came the eventual answer. There is another outbreak, and it is within our zone, Amiga 7. The information was greeted with a sigh, like that of a parent learning about a child's tantrum. Another Maison incident. We should just wipe them from this zone, came a third voice, an unmistakable edge to their tone. Our spies report that their data is providing more valuable, though, closer to a cure 
but they have certainly perfected the cause. No, this is something else, replied the original voice. There is no Maison facility, hidden or otherwise, on Amiga 7. This is a true outbreak. Containment protocols were declared moments ago. Assistance arrived with data pads for the two. There was another long pause, while the future of Amiga 7 was silently considered and deliberate. It would be foolish to allow a planet so close to so many shipping lanes to have its fate decided by others. Plus, you can see there is a troubling anomaly. In the gloom, there were rustles of soft fabric as the others nodded in agreement. But we lack the immediate resources. It has its own objectives elsewhere. This is why we have allies. For the first time, there was a hint of amusement in the response, which was greeted by smiles in the darkness. The Matsudan? Indeed. Assistants shuffled off to make the necessary arrangements, and a nervous stillness crept across the room. Eventually, it was broken with an almost apologetic question. Should we inform the Tesseract? Hello, dear listener, Chris here again. You're about to hear the second and definitely most exciting part of the fall of Omega 7. I hope you enjoy. Hello, dear listener, Chris here. Two of the story of the fall of Omega 7. Otto Soro let loose with another discharge from the ion cannon. Each blast temporarily lit the streets before evaporating back into near darkness. Those brief moments of light revealed a nightmare best left to the gloom. Hideous creatures, once the store owners or customers that filled this bustling commercial district, screamed and howled while they charged on all fours towards Otto and a small deployment of marionettes. The ion cannon obliterated their snarling faces and sent them flying. But for each downed foe, another quickly took their place. Otto gritted his teeth before muttering a silent prayer to the gods of old Mutzel. To his left, he saw a marionette with its head ripped off by a former chef covered in gore. Before he could turn his weapon, the flames from a nearby phlogister bathed the monster in searing heat. It fell to the floor twitching and writhing, while the marionette calmly bent over and picked up its head. The droid turned to Otto while replacing its head and gave him a thumbs up, grimacing. Otto reminded himself once again that he needed to check the AI programming of the marionettes. If only he had the time. Since being recruited by the Five Daggers, Otter felt like he had gone from mission to mission without a break. The, ca- the clade had promised him a way to earn the honour he so desired. A chance to earn back the respect of his former house on Neo Matsul. An opportunity to return home. But so far that promise had always been out of his grasp. Each request from the Dagger promised to be the last. But there was always some complication some reason why the stain of his dishonour couldn't be washed away just yet. When he had been recruited, the small band of marionettes he had been assigned to were fresh off the production line and with a perfect khaki paint. They were installed with the latest AI rather than requiring an Asterian pilot them. But slowly with every battle, the AI had started to fragment as it adopted to cope with the stresses and rigours of claustrophobic urban skirmishes. Otter had almost come to appreciate the developing character of the marionettes, but worried these irregularities could ultimately become problematic. A few had even given themselves a name. As if to prove his point, a marionette sniper in the utmost window of a Dreadmax bar punched the air in excitement after downing a charging plague. The sniper had taken to calling himself Pinpoint and had painted its face to resemble 
the targeting icon of a hollow site. I on the target, shouted Otter up to Pip. I on the target, parroted Alpha, a marionette prime. Alpha was the de facto leader of the marionettes. Tactics and battlefield information were relayed through the prime to all the other marionettes in the squad. This ensured they could quickly adapt, depending on. However, as Otter had fought alongside the marionettes, they had started to turn to him for what seemed like approval. In moments of calm, they also seemed almost interested in the jobs that Otter had completed since being banished from Neomatsu. Another was convinced needed to be ironed out. Although strangely, after being left alone for so long, he had enjoyed the unexpiration here to irritate Alpha. Perhaps because it did appear to him the street had finally fallen silent, apart from the hum of the cooling fan in his ion cannon. It was working overtime to reduce the heat inside the lethal weapon. He couldn't remember how long he had been trapped on this infernal street, but the cramp in his trigger finger implied it must have been some time. He took a moment to look around him. The shop doorways, pavements and roads were littered with lifeless plague victims. Even in death, their faces were locked into hideous, snarling expressions. Sit, Rep, shouted Otter. After a few moments, a support drone hovered into view and paused in front of all. I can provide a full battlefield analysis, chirped in Alpha. Otter noticed that with each mission, the Prime's voice took on an increasingly irritated tone. Likewise, the number one that Alpha had scrawled on his chest appeared to get brighter with each battle, as if the droid was attempting to prove a point by persistently repainting it. I'd rather hear it for myself, growled Otter. The immediate sector is clear, chirped the drone. We are two sectors from the target. Two sectors, replied Otter, with a start. When we arrived in this fragging city, we were only one sector from the target. Check again. The droid paused for a moment. Recalibrating, it toned. Otter huffed a sigh of relief. He didn't like the idea of fighting through any more of this chaos than he had to. Despite fighting the plague in numerous dead zones, he hadn't, been resist- he hadn't seen resistance like this, even when he fought that aberration on Shyex. Child 10. But this was different. The attacks didn't seem mindless, and they had come in waves from different directions, almost as if they were herding Otter and his marionettes. He attempted to shrug the thought off. Just mindless beasts, remember, he told himself. Two sectors is incorrect, offered the drone. Eventually, Otter relaxed a little. It's moving? Otter turned on the prime. What aren't you telling me, Alpha? As per the mission, Sora. We are to locate the target and await further instructions. You didn't say anything about a moving target. Thought it was another Maison facility. My briefing to you was clear. Locate the target and await further instructions. Otter eyed Alpha. It was almost like the marionette was enjoying this. Put me through to the clade, snarled Otter. Making a fool of me would be a mistake. Otter realised he was pointing his ion cannon directly at Alpha. He cursed his temper. The whole reason he was in this mess in the first place and carefully lowered the weapon. He noticed Alpha kept his no rifle firmly pointed towards him. No need for an argument, guys, came a stuttering voice to Otter's right. He turned to see Hammer walking jerkily towards him, its glowing eye flickering with each step. Out of all the marionettes, Hammer appeared appeared to Otter to be the closest to a full malfunction. One of Hammer's grenades from its launcher had prematurely exploded on the previous mission and sent the marionettes flying into the wall of a nearby hard block. Otto was amazed it could still function. 
to, to, to tell me him the mission, Alpha. We're all allies here. Hammer appeared to be trying to nod enthusiastically, but only managed to a jerky wobble of its head accompanied by grinding noises. Alpha paused for a moment and Otter assumed the marionettes were calculating the best approach. Eventually, the Alpha lowered the known rifle and raised its arms to allow a blue hologram to appear. The hologram lit the dark street with an eerie light and showed a human's head spinning slowly. This is Chad Ryder, a general in Tromtech's elite dark ops unit, started Alpha. General Ryder has been sighted in more containment protocols in the past decade than any other human since the outbreak. Otter took a closer look at the hologram of Ryder. Even on the hazy blue image, there was a hint of malice in Ryder's sneer. Rumours spread among the humans that Ryder was immune to the plague. Soldiers fought to be one of Ryder's rogues, hoping his apparent immunity would pass to them. A human with plague immunity would be an interesting development, which is why the Tesseract has been following this, his development closely. Suddenly, the hologram changed to a hideous face twisted by the plague. Despite the deformity, the sneer was still there. It was Ryder. This is Ryder now, continued Alpha. We intercepted comms between General Ryder and Trontech, ahead of him arriving on Omega-7. His mission here was to sabotage the mining facility of one of Trontech's rivals, but something went wrong. Our data shows him entering the mine and re-emerging as this, along with the rest of his squad. Containment protocols were declared after the facility staff were overwhelmed. The source must be in the mine then, offered Otter. Let's head there. No, 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 not this time, stuttered Hammer. Hammer is correct, replied Alpha. We believe that Ryder is the source of the outbreak. Otter st stared in disbelief at Alpha. Their data had to be mistaken. Since Otter had been had first learned about the plague, the pattern was depressingly consistent. A mysterious, almost monolith monolithic object would be discovered on a planet, which quickly led to the virus spread across the immediate area and potentially overwhelming the entire planet. Containment protocols were always declared to stop the disease from spreading off-world. How? asked Otter. We have analysed the data and believe the infection has remained dormant in Ryder's bloodstream, potentially for years. It was waiting for an opportunity, opportune moment to unleash the pathogen. You're saying the virus can think now? Snorted Otter. Give me a break. A marionette arm with a phlogister that had recently taken to calling itself EXO approached the group. Forgive my intrusion, but the Caracas ice beetle buries itself in the snow for up to 10 cycles while freezing storms rage across the planet, explained Exo. Somehow it can sense when the storms will end, though. It starts digging its way out before the temperature increases and the harsh conditions subside. Could something similar not be the case with the contagion? It could sense when the time was right. The other marionettes nodded in unison. Apart from Hammer, who jerkily moved his head, Otter knew they were going through this explanation purely for his benefit. The neural link between the marionettes meant they were able to share this information instantly and silently. In fact, they must have known it since the moment they were given the mission by the clade. Why the secrecy? snarled Otter. An uncomfortable sense of anger was bubbling away inside him. Control it, Otter scolded himself. There was concern that if new news of Ryder, Alpha was interrupted by an ominous howl from the darkness. All eyes included including the glowing lenses of the marionettes, turned towards the end of the street. Before Otter could speak, 
The drone once again hovered towards him. Target located, chirped the drone almost cheerfully. In the distance, Otter saw a pair of red eyes emerging from the gloom and heading this way. They bobbed along just above the road, but remaining firmly fixed on Otter and the marionettes. A low growl echoed between the ruined storefronts. Otter clicked his gun off standby and was reassured to hear the hum of its particle engine warming up. Otter was about to press the trigger when the neon light of a sushi bar briefly sparked into life and lit the street. Before the neon tubes exploded with a pop and a hiss, the dancing green and orange lights revealed a hideous deformed dog loping towards them. What remained of its decaying skin, exposed bare muscle and bone, startled by the sudden brightness, it dashed into a nearby alley. Weapons ready, hissed Otter. You heard him, followed Alpha. The street fell back into an eerie stillness that was eventually broken by a hacking, wet laugh. Otter tried to locate the origin, but it seemed to be coming from all around them. See anything, Pinpoint? Otter asked the sniper, who was safely tucked away in the ruined window of the Dreadmax bar. Negative, replied the marionette. Is this all they have sent? Wheezed a voice that quickly broke into a fit of coughing. Or laughing, Otter wasn't sure. Tell me something, Pinpoint. Out of the corner of his eye, Otter saw Pinpoint sweeping his sniper rifle from side to side. A lizard and its robots coughed the voice. The voice sounded like a human, but each word had to be spat out, like the speaker was remembering how to talk. Show yourself, shouted Otter pointlessly. He had to do something, if only to calm his nerves. A low mist had started creeping onto the street, coiling around his feet and adding to the claustrophobic darkness. Target acquired, whispered Pinpoint, followed by the crack of his his sniper rifle. An agonising scream ran through the mist. Otter was about to congratulate Pinpoint when the scream morphed into the hacking laugh they heard before. Overwhelmed by anger and a growing sense of dread, Otter let loose with his weapon. He fired desperately in the direction of the cackling, waiting for another scream to indicate he had hit the target. Each pulse lit the murk for a moment, and Otter recoiled slightly at the sight of the bodies from their their previous skirmish. Hard to think... That just a few cycles before, they had been, this has been a bustling hub with people going about their daily business. Now it resembled an abattoir. Otter jumped when Hammer almost tenderly placed a metallic arm on his shoulder. It's n- n- no good, stammered the marionette. Otter could feel the sweat dripping inside his armour and his breath had started to come in ragged gasps. Get a grip, he sneered to himself. You're acting like a relicat rat. For once, he envied the marionettes and their lack of emotion. They were standing there motionless. Only the whispering were of their optic lens, lenses indicated they were scanning the area for enemies. What's the plan, Alpha? whispered Otter. Same as before. Locate the target and wait for their instructions, replied the Prime. Now seems like a very good time to get those instructions, snapped Otter. We are struggling to reach the clade, replied the marionettes in unison. We are unable to... To take your call at this moment, wheezed the voice in the darkness. Please leave your message after the scream. Otter realised he was starting to panic. Mindless beasts, remember, he told himself. Although this time, he said it with less conviction. He knew that some victims of the plague had some semblance of brutal thought, a shadow of their former self that flitted across their decaying mind. But this was different. This was no mindless beast. Whatever was out there felt like it was toying with them. As if on cue, Otter spotted a shadow in the mist. It climbed the still-smoking wreck of a mule. Send up a flare, hissed Otter, and a nearby marionette was quick to oblige. 
As the flare shot towards the atmosphere, the street and the bodies around them took on a sickening red hue, as if bathed in blood. Now clearly lit by the red glow, Otter could see it was Ryder, or rather what used to be Ryder, perched on the mule. His uniform was ripped and spattered with blood, and his arms had swollen to twice their size, but the sneering face was unmistakable. Then, with an almost casual air, Ryder raised his grotesque arm and let out a series of loud animalistic barks. To Otto's horror, Ryder's intelligible command was met by multiple so-called ghouls and zombies rising from among the dead that cluttered the road. They must have been creeping and crawling towards Otto and the marionettes while Ryder was distracting them. Some were armed with crude hand weapons, but others still had their Trontec issue rifles. Otto noticed with alarm that one was clumsily fiddling with a grenade launcher. The hound they had seen earlier bounded from an from out an alleyway and joined Ryder on the wrecked vehicle, awaiting further instructions, stated Alpha. Light them up, roared Otter, and unleashed the iron cannon once more. And that concludes Mega 7. The starter box is available from Mantic Games with all of the characters mentioned.